What's up, guys, and welcome to a surprise episode of Known. We sat down this past week with my friend David Marvin, who leads the porch at Watermark Community Church down in Dallas, Texas, where he ministers to hundreds of thousands of young adults. And one of the main topics that they talk about is anxiety. And they've talked about it so much that David actually wrote a book on it called We're All Freaking Out and Why We Don't Need To. You can get it anywhere that you buy books. But we're going to keep this intro short, get to the meat and potatoes. Let's hear from David Marvin. Yeah. DMR, what's up, man? What's yeah. up, dude? How we doing? Dude, doing good. Wow. Oh, it's new. You were, we were talking a little beforehand. You said you just had your very first makeup experience. <laughs> tell, me, tell me a little bit about how that yes, was. Yes, I love that you went there right off the bat. <laughs> man, I showed up to a TV studio to do an uh, interview um, about this book, and, uh, and they were had on this sheet, you know, prepare your own makeup. Uh, if you can, and I was like, oh, check, I, that, that's not really my my thing. And then I show up, and they were like, oh, you don't have makeup. Um, and then they send me to the makeup artist or person, and uh, and dude, it, it's wild, man. It is. Uh, so I am I am wearing makeup for this interview. That's how much I'm committed Bro, and here. I'm honored, honored, just for humble daily. Did did you uh, did you selfie it for your wife? Oh, I should have. No, but I did. They did take a video of it and. Uh, and I, of course, threw it on the gram of like, I can't believe this is happening right now. But um, and my wife was like, are you serious? You were going on TV. Everyone wears makeup on TV, which, you know, I, we were saying you you've been there, too, man. <laughs> Dude, unfortunately, I have. I, I, I was guilty of the selfie to the wife, though. I probably still have it on my phone somewhere if I looked for it. That's but, amazing. Uh, we don't need to bring that back to life by any means. <laughs> well, sweet, man. So anyways, like you mentioned, man. A lot of things new in your life. You got a baby boy on the way. We talked a little bit about, which is amazing. Yeah, we're pumped. Um, three kids, family five now. That's right, dude. Let's go. When is it? When's he due? He's due the last week of January, and uh, he is, um, yeah, boy. Last week of January, first week of February, and yeah, man, we're going to zone, zone defense. No more man to man. Here we go, man. So, well, we're pumped. And that, uh, like you said, we've got a five-year-old boy, three-year-old girl, and now a soon-to-be baby boy. Dude, how do, how do the kiddos feel? They happy? They pumped? Stoked. I mean, they're still at the age where they think it's a competition between boys and girls for everything. <laughs> so my daughter still prays that God will make him a girl. <laughs> and uh, my son is like, yes, boys win. Yes, boys so they're hilarious and fun, and they're stoked. And uh, how old is, is your boy? He's So he just turned three months today. Uh, you're in the fog, man. Dude, it's, we got, I'm on, if I make no sense, I got like two hours of sleep left. Uh, so. Oh, I don't, I'm not looking forward uh, to that. Yeah, dude, you're about to enter back into that realm of like not being able to put him down at 8 or 9 o'clock and hang out with your wife. Oh, man, I need to enjoy it while it lasts. Oh. Dude. It's it's interesting. I mean, we've it's been it's been one of the most challenging seasons of my life for sure. I'm very much like a systems guy, very much a if I put these inputs into into my life, these outputs will come out. And obviously that doesn't work at all. No. Um, I was just talking to a buddy this morning over coffee about it. It's like, man, it's it's so frustrating to my type A personality. It's like, man, I did everything I was supposed to do and you still didn't sleep. So I don't, I don't get it. God, God kills that really fast where your selfishness, or at least for me, all the things of my own selfishness just come out really fast and like, man, okay, this is, we're doing this, you know? Dude, 
Absolutely. And it's, I mean, everyone says that, like, oh, it's such a sanctifying process. And they said that about marriage, and marriage was, but I felt like, I don't know, I felt like my wife and I walked into marriage in a really good spot. But then having the kid was like, man, we hit, we ran into the wall. You know, we used to joke, like, so when does marriage get hard? And then it's like we had a kid in about a weekend. We were up at, like, 3 a.m. I was like, this is where marriage gets hard. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I told somebody that today, actually. They were asking for advice on first-year marriage because they were getting married in two weeks. And, and for sure gave him advice. and, and um, But I said, honestly, man, when you marry somebody who loves Jesus, you love Jesus, you're going to grow. You're going to be stretched. But it'll be when you have kids that, that you really see how selfish. You see how selfish you are the entire time. But kids do bring something else out. So, anyways, that's fun. That's, that's the truth, man. That's the truth. Well, anyways, hey, the whole point of this interview, the whole point of your makeup session this morning. That's right. Uh, wrote, a, wrote a book, dude. I know. What's up with this? How crazy How is that? Dude, Man, I'm feeling dude, good. I, what's that? I'd say it's number one today. I saw new releases for anxiety and phobias. That's pretty on Amazon. You're number 11 in Christian personal growth behind Joel Osteen, so you need to kick that up a little bit. I know, man. Joel. <laughs> Joel and those books. Yeah. It's been awesome, man. I mean, I, I never wanted to write or never, I wasn't opposed to, but never had a vision for like, I have to write a book. Publishers came just with The Porch, which is the ministry I lead in Dallas, and they knew the platform and just said, hey, would you consider writing a book? And uh, I initially said, no, I'm not really interested, but, you know, if God made that clear, I would. And then they came back a little later and said, what if something, what if you wrote on anxiety? And my wife is a counselor. They noticed how much we were teaching about it. And this was before the pandemic. And um, so we prayed about it and said, man, we'll pray. And we really felt like if we can create a resource that would help people and that God could use to connect the dots on what he actually teaches in the Bible about anxiety and how to combat it, which in my experience, most people don't understand or they oversimplify. If we could put resources in the hands of, of believers to be a first line of defense, then we would do that. And so that began a two-year journey and, and then October 5th, it launched and, uh, and God is, um, man, it's been really, really fun to hear. I think the most encouraging thing is and uh have you written a book no i haven't i'd like to one day but i don't i'm not the guy that's like i have to write a book yeah 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 (laughs) man i humble daily i bet is a book that's coming out soon at some point (laughs) but you know the really most encouraging thing is not hey it topped this or was a bestseller in these categories the most encouraging thing is the stories that come in or just Mm -hmm. people saying this really impacted me um uh this that chapter um what you shared here I felt like it really, you know, God used it to change my life. And that's already been happening in the last week. And that's, those are like, that's why you write a book. You don't write it. I mean, nobody's going to, you're not going to get rich unless you're Rick Warren who gives it away anyways. But, um, so you don't do it for that, which I've always heard from author friends. You do it because you believe in the message and you want to help people. And so, seeing that happening is really, really fun and encouraging. So yeah, it's called, we're all freaking out why we don't need to. It's on anxiety, mental health, and ha- what the Bible actually teaches about how to combat it. Heck yeah. What is, what's been surprising about it? Like what's been surprising? I'm sure you expected some stories and expected some things. Anything surprised you since you released it? Yeah. Um, man, I think how few people know uh, how commonly misunderstood most of the scriptures on anxiety are. And how people are like, man, I never knew that. To use one example, Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, Don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. 
and the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I talk about in the book how most people read that and they, they think it's saying, don't worry, just pray and you'll have peace. And most people are going, yeah, Paul, I've tried that. That's so unreal. Like, I'm, I'm anxious and I prayed about it. I still am anxious. What Paul is saying is impossible and not helpful. And that's because they don't actually get what he's saying. The word that Paul uses in not be anxious is the Greek word. New Testament is written in Greek. It's the word merimnau, which is synonymous with meditation. And the idea that Paul's communicating is not don't ever have an anxious thought. That's impossible. You're going to have anxious yeah. thoughts. You're going to have sinful thoughts. You're going to have those for the rest of life in this broken world. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't meditate on those anxious and fearful thoughts. That is possible, that I can choose not to dwell on every fearful, potentially anxious, um, bad thing that could happen. I can choose not to do that, which makes sense when you look at the verses in context, because in Philippians 4, immediately after that, he talks about, Rather, meditate on what is true and lovely and pure and worthy of praise. Think about these things. So it's all in that same conversation. And when you begin to understand that, you're like, oh, I can do that. I'm going to have anxious thoughts, but I can choose not to dwell on them and run back to them and run them over and over in my head. And I can choose to believe and hold on to what is true despite all the things that could potentially happen. So I think that's been one. Um, Man, just the... uh, the encouragement and the uh, number of people um, sharing stories and getting it, and uh, I've, I've just been really encouraged. It's a, it's kind of a vulnerable thing. You put a book out there, and you're like, yeah. "Man, maybe my mom's gonna buy it," you know. <laughs> and uh, and then um, and God has just allowed us to to play a role in impacting a, a lot of young adult lives in the country, and so um, those people have have graciously and encouragingly both bought and um, read and shared. Man, this has been really helpful. So that's just meant a lot. And it's been one of the sweetest, encouraging times, candidly, in ministry. Because you get into it to help people, you know, and just to see people experience on. And the last thing I'd say is to see people experience what is such a felt need. I knew anxiety was a big deal, but the depth and the width of it, and how many people are struggling with debilitating or dehabilitating anxiety, it just is, it's heartbreaking, man. So. Absolutely. What, yeah, so what was the driving force? Because you could obviously, you could have wrote a book about dating. You could have wrote any, any of the sermon series you guys touch on at the porch. I'm sure you could have wrote a book on. Um, like, what's the driving force behind, hey, anxiety, like, peg into the ground, this is what we're going to write on. Yeah. Anxiety is the topic. I think it was a couple things. One, it was a shared passion my wife had. And when you write a book... Um, just like anytime you do any big project, uh, when you, um, are going to devote that much time to something, you really have got to have, I mean, you know, this, it's, it's a family affair, like it impacts everybody, you know? And so you've got to believe in it and cause it's going to take a lot of hours and a lot of time. So her, she's a counselor that sees people for anxiety. So that's a passion of hers. And then the spike in the last 10 years, I've been teaching at the porch. We do a survey and this was so interesting. It was almost like a, a fault line or a shift happened that I didn't even realize was happening. Every year we'll do a survey, and it's everything from what TV shows. We just want to know who's, who's listening and who's in the room. What's your favorite TV show? Who's your favorite music artist? To um, what's your age, college or not, dating or not? And then what would you like us to cover? 
and they just that's a fill in the blank one. And every year, it's for years and years and years, it was dating, love, relationships, makes sense. And then there was a year where it it's like anxiety spiked and significantly higher than all the other ones was anxiety. And how, what do I do with it? And looking back in the moment, I didn't even realize like, oh wow, we're kind of in a fault line of this is an issue that's exploding. But every year since then, that was the dominant issue people wanted to know. And so that just really, you know, God began to break our heart for um, that issue. And we began to teach it. We used to teach it every two years, a series on anxiety. And then when we began to see those results of, oh, man, this is the number one thing that people are looking for help with. We started doing a series every year and have for the last four years, basically. So that's that's pretty much behind why. And did you and Callie co-write it, or how did that work? No, I wish. Uh, but she read every chapter. I mean, she would she would say, uh, "Bro, I'm like borderline dyslexic. I really am. Like, <laughs> I, I I'm not even kidding. Like, I I have to type things out like 17 times, and I still don't get it. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Whether it's on typing a paper or on you know on social media or anything." Um, I'm like, dang it, I misspelled that again. So she would read every page and help make sense of it and then uh, and then just speak into it. She Probably the number one thing she taught me or has taught me about anxiety, just from a counselor's perspective, there's a couple, but I think one of the things that is the most probably unconventional foreign to Christians is that in order to face your anxiety, you've got to embrace it. In order to fight it, you've got to face it. In order to face it, you have to embrace it. And too many people try to deny or pretend it's not there or, or just try to not think of those feelings or those thoughts rather than saying, I'm going to embrace my anxiety. I have anxiety about being single. I have anxiety about uh, being, you know, losing my job. I have anxiety over my dad getting COVID and dying. And it's when we decide to say, I have that. And so now I need to figure out what to do about it, what's fueling that. What's behind that, and how do I combat it? I use the uh, illustration in the book of, man, I hate going to the mall. And uh, do you like the mall? No, not at all. I, I order everything online that I can, online shopping, or my wife will go buy stuff. I just, um, I appreciate that about you because there's, there's a lot of people that love it, and I'm like, bro, the mall is, I feel like I can't breathe in there. Dude, in the age of Amazon, why? Like, yes, why, would you? why? There's some people that it's, you know, and if that's your thing, that's awesome. But I hate going to the mall, and one of the main reasons is I never know where any of the stores are. So I go in, and I'm like, I have no, I don't know where to park. I always park. I only have to go to the mall for the Apple store, and I always park in the wrong area. And so I have to go find that map that is like the last physical map left in society that shows you where everything is. And on the map, you look for two things, or I do, the Apple store and then the star that says you are here because even knowing, or if I know where the Apple store is, that's not helpful unless I know where I am because I can't get to where I want to be without knowing, Hey, this is where I am. And Christians want to have a life marked with peace. That's the destination or they want to be more free from anxiety. But for whatever reason, we're unwilling to say, but this is where I am. And in order to get where I want to be, I need to admit I have anxiety about this. And I'm going to embrace that, not to keep it, but to face it and to fight it. And that's one thing in counseling that they, they really encourage you to do is like, just say it. Just say, I struggle with anxiety about blank. And that allows you to step on the path of beginning to combat that. So 
That's good, man. What, so what for you, like what's an anxiety in your life you've had to embrace that you had to kind of face head on and, and being the guy on stage, it's easy to people look at and be like, yeah, he's probably good. He probably figured an anxiety out. Man, you know? Totally. I think they're big and small. You know, for me, um, we had our daughter when she was, when we were pregnant with our three-year-old, my, she was uh, flagged for a chromosomal disorder that would have been life ending or 99% chance of death if she had it. And then if she did have it and she was in the 1% that lived, she'd have immediate heart transplant complications for her whole life. And that was a journey that God put us on of going, man, we God, we don't want our daughter to die and having to surrender that to him of God, man. But that, if that's your will, we trust you. And I don't know how that could be your will. And I don't understand why that would be your will. But if it is, we're not going to thwart the will of God by panicking about it. And so we're going to trust you and we're going to beg that not to be the case. Thankfully, it wasn't. But just surrendering that and saying, man, I've I've never had control. I never will. And so, God, I can either choose to trust you and have peace or I can choose to not and have panic. And um, so that was one example. I mean, I I still have anxiety over or can find myself anxious about anything from increasing cost of living and how you can afford stuff or where kids are going to go to school. I mean, you know, as a parent. And especially as your your son gets older, all the world craziness that you're like, man, um, the world they're going to be raised up in is so toxic. It's always been toxic, but it feels like it. Satan has shown his cards. And so you can be anxious about that or anxious about um, – I remember being so anxious about when I got engaged to my wife. And, um, and it wasn't anything with her. It just was like, oh, my gosh, is this uh, – have I made the biggest mistake of my life? And, um, and so really walking through what God says, and I talk about that in the book, um, is the things that I've found have been helpful towards peace. And it's really a first line of defense, like <clears throat> counseling, medication. I mean, you're, you're in the medical field. Those are an amazing gift. And uh, there are times where that's entirely appropriate, may even be necessary based on traumatic experiences or biological or physiological things. But for Christians, they're never a replacement for God's word. They're a supplement to it. And so that's really the heart behind the book is not, hey, this is your one-stop shop. It'll fix everything. It is this is what God says is the first line of defense. And so you never outgrow the Bible. There's times where um, just like you may need Advil for a headache, there may be serotonin deficiency or something that um, is appropriate but not at the expense of saying, so now I just don't do what God actually says in, in scripture. So that's good. Was there even some anxiety surrounding the release of the book? Man, there actually was, you know, like I would say that the weeks leading up to it, um, or months or kind of season, I guess, leading up to it of going, of having to put into practice, like God, man, I I trust you and you're going to do what you're going to do. And, pride and all kinds of lies like you're a failure if this doesn't do well and we just the mind is it can be so um sin can just run through and make us believe lies and have warped standards of what success even is and you got to just cling and it was a good chance for me to go god you're gonna do what you're gonna do and my prayer is it helps people and if it helps um less people than i hope and it still helps people Man, God, your will be done. Your your agenda, your kingdom, your will, all comes before mine. And so that's that's perceptive uh, of you to even realize that, of course, you're going to have that 
So. Yeah. And I can't imagine, too, like, I feel like the comparison game in the book world has only gotten worse and worse, too, of it's like almost anyone can seemingly publish now, and it's people's, like, life goals to, we talked a little bit about, it's like a life goal. I got to write this by this time or else I'm a failure. Yes. Um, and there's chart. it's like, how, how many charts are out there now that you can now selectively measure yourself against? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's not a, it's, it is a, bad, it's a losing game if you play that, you know, just like with anything in life, you're going to be faithful and uh, whether it's med school or doing this, you do it with the goal of, man, I just want to be faithful and do what I believe God's calling us to do. And I trust him with the outcome. So that's in his hands. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So how like, you talked, you touched on it a little bit, but how with Callie being a, a counselor by profession and both of you guys being believers, how do you guys, like, how do you work together to blend the wisdom of the Bible with the profession of counseling um, to kind of morph it into the most helpful thing that it could be to individuals and people? Yeah, you know, I'll speak for what I've heard her say and learned from her is the Bible's designed for community, authentic relationships. You know, that we're to have relationships where we're transparent, we're authentic, where we open up about our struggles is really something that is best. Counseling is something you want to pair with that, not replace that with. Same idea that she would say, man, you'll know you're getting healthier, which is the goal of coming to counseling. When the relationship you have with me, your counselor, and the way you talk and openly discuss things with me, when that begins to spread to other people, when you begin to have more of those types of relationships, then you're getting healthier. And so she encourages that same thing that, hey, this is, you can come see me and and you don't have to have community, but it's not going to be nearly as effective and powerful and liberating if you come and don't have community. You need to go through this with a small group or you need to see me only in addition to having that support system around you. So it's really just continuing to point people back to God's word. I do think counseling, you have people, uh, it's almost like a deep community. Um, you know, they say that you bond over like a weekend retreat. Mm-hmm. Three days is as much as like six months or six weeks or whatever. Yeah. It's almost like counseling is kind of that in community. It's like a, it's a focused, um, it's like a really intense community. So it's like six community sessions is one, but it shouldn't ever replace that. And, um, and so I think depending on, I would, if somebody was interested in counseling, I'd do it with a small group you already have existing ideally and go to a, a Christian counselor. Cause there's a lot of, I wouldn't say, a, uh, I'm trying to be careful, uh, not abusive, but, um, a secret keeper who just wants you to keep coming for the rest of your life, paying me $120 a week. Yeah. That, that there are people who are, uh, they're incentivized for you to just keep coming back. And I think a good counselor, for example, my wife is like, my goal is for you to not come again, or my goal is for this to stop, Um, you know, for you to learn to feed yourself, not to keep coming here and having me have to do this. So that's the goal It's not this should never be indefinite. And so let's work through that and work a plan to make that happen. Hmm. So. So for you guys, David, I know you like at the porch and watermark kind of in the larger sense. Um. I think not that you guys take pride in, but I think you guys do a really good job of taking a biblical truth that people, I mean, everyone, I don't, not everyone that might be trite, but like many Christians know of Philippians four, chapter four and what it says on anxiety, but few people have heard it taught in a relevant way. That's actually applicable and helpful to them, to their life. 
Um, I know I that that's one of the things that drew me to the porch when I was in Dallas. I was like, man, I didn't even I've read that verse a thousand times. I didn't know that's how it applied to my life. Um, so like, where where has the church missed the mark on anxiety? Like, where where can they be better? I know I after going to Watermark and being a part of it, it, it definitely set my faith on a trajectory uh, of just seeing the value of community, the value of the one another. Um, the value of being around Todd, like the value of scripture knowledge and memory and committing that to heart and being able to actually kind of use the weapons of the spirit. (laughs) Yeah. um, Big, big picture. How does the, how has the church missed the mark on anxiety? And I guess like more zoned in, like what can we do about it? Yeah. I think that they have, um, for whatever reason, it's an issue that people, if you say I struggle with anxiety, they'll push you out of the church or they'll suggest go see a counselor, go see a psychiatrist, go get on medication. The problem with medication, which is, again, I'm not anti I take Advil. I would take medication is appropriate at times, but it only treats just like Advil. It treats the symptoms of the headache. It doesn't treat what's causing the headache. You know, it doesn't if you are in a room that has just screamo music at level 10, it's causing a headache. It'll treat the symptom, Advil. It won't turn the dial down of the music that's causing that. And so I think the same thing happens in anxiety where people quickly are rushed out. And I also think that there's a shame attached to it that somehow, intentionally or unintentionally, if you struggle with anxiety, it's like you should have more faith. Just trust God. Just pray more. And a lot of people's wiring plays into it. There's there's, uh, people who are less likely to struggle with anxiety because they're just more relaxed, more chill, they're less high strung. And then there's people who are biologically, for whatever reason, um, their wiring, God made them and sin impacted, has made them more prone to struggle with anxiety. And so I think de-shaming or detaching the stigma from anxiety and almost saying, man, it's it's not a, you're not any different if that's a part of your story, you struggle with that. And yet just like every uh, thing that robs us of life, God doesn't want that to be the case, and he's given us tools to put that into practice. Hmm. That's so good, man. What, like, man, it's, it seems like such, like, it's such a felt need. You know, like, it's almost like, like, where do we even start? You know, like, how do we even get get to the bottom of this? So if someone is, uh, we know, like, Matthew 18 is our conflict resolution roadmap yep. in the Bible. What would you say if someone's experienced anxiety, what would be their anxiety roadmap that you would take them on uh, to help them kind of get to the root? Yeah, I would go to Matthew 6, and um, there's an acronym I would give them. It's not even, um, yeah, an acronym where Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 24, 25 through 34, and he walks through and he says, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will wear, what you will eat. He covers their anxiety. To us, you would say, don't be anxious about what will happen with your kids or whether or not you'll get married or whether or not you'll make enough. Um, and then he says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? And the brilliant, uh, the brilliance behind that question is he's God. Jesus knows the answer. He's not asking because he's like, somebody tell me. He's trying to force them to put into perspective their worries more clearly and to see in a bigger perspective their anxiety. Counselors do it today. It's helping track down what are you actually anxious about. Man, I'm anxious about whether or not I'm going to make enough money to afford rent after my roommate moves out and uh, or who's going to live with me. And if you see a counselor, they would begin to ask questions like Jesus did there of helping you track down your anxiety. So that's the first one, T, track down. Because you may be like, I'm anxious about 
if I don't have a roommate, I'll have to move out. What happens if you have to move out? Well, I, I have to move in with my parents. What happens if you have to move in with your parents? Well, I feel like a failure and be embarrassed. Oh, you're ultimately anxious about what other people think about you. And in order for you to combat that, you can't just get a new roommate. You've got to go to, oh, I struggle with anxiety about what people think about me. So first is track down your anxiety. And then Jesus goes into, remember, you're not like the pagans. This is in verse uh, 27 through 28, that you have a heavenly father who has promised to provide for all of your needs. Just like he feeds the birds, clothes the fields. All the pagans are frantic about no one's going to care for us. You have a God that's going to care for your needs. Remember the God, the promises of God, basically. And then the you is, so T-R-U, understand worry is useless. That's Jesus's question. It is not the ultimate answer, but he basically asks, and can any of you by worrying or being anxious add to your life, which forces us to go, yeah, it, that, true, agreed. It doesn't help me. There's nothing productive about dwelling on, oh no, oh no. It doesn't change the future. It just ruins the present. And so he goes, track down your anxiety, remember the promises of God, understand worry is useless, and then seek God's kingdom, which is where he goes next. Seek first, rather, or prioritize first God's kingdom, which is God's agenda, God's will in your life. Surrender your kingdom, your agenda, your will, that maybe you do have to move back in with your parents. Maybe your daughter will have a chromosomal disorder, and I'm just going to surrender, God. Your, your kingdom, your will comes before my own. And so track down your anxiety. Remember the promises of God. Understand worry is useless. Seek God's will or embrace God's will. Seek and surrender yours. And then finally, take it one day at a time, which is where Jesus ends. That, hey, let tomorrow worry about itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. Focus on today. And that's a, an acronym that, honestly, uh, I, I wrote out as it related to a message of anxiety, but it just spells trust. And sometimes for me, acronyms can be helpful. If, man, I'm going to trace down, track down my anxiety. I'm going to remember the promises of God. I'm going to understand the uselessness of worry and being anxious. And then I'm going to seek and surrender, seek God's kingdom. I'm going to surrender mine. And then I'm going to take it one day at a time and seek to trust him. Hmm. Wow. That's so good, man. What? So what, like, for me, I think, the number one source of my anxiety is it's like a future focus when I'm not living where I'm supposed to be kind of walking in, like you said, Matthew six of what I'm worrying about tomorrow. Um, what are some ways that you found helpful? What are some kind of grounding things that maybe Callie has helped you with or, uh, in your own walk with anxiety, what are some ways that you've kind of found to stay present? Cause I think at least for me and most of the people I know are disciple, it's man, like what if I don't ever find a spouse? What if my job lets me go? What happens with COVID? You know, it's all this. What if, what if is almost always a future question. And so how do, we, how do we stay grounded in the present? How do we focus on like where we are now and grow where God has us? Okay, here's the most unconventional thing I would say. Well, I don't even know that it's unconventional. I think it's really important, but I don't hear people say it. You just brought up a huge question. You said, what if? The what if? Anxiety feeds off of the what if, but no one ever answers the what if. So we just stay in that cloud of what if, what if, what if? And I'm too afraid to face the answer to that question, so I just try to change the channel, try to uh, distract myself or deny what if, what if my wife dies of cancer and I have to raise our three kids by myself? I think you should answer the question. That's what I mean by even tracking down your anxiety. Mm. What if my wife dies of cancer? Then I would have to, then I would and answer it. What if I lose my job? What if the medical field collapses? What if the vaccine, whatever the, what if it answer it? 
So what if my wife dies of cancer? Then I would have to raise my kids by myself. Then I would probably walk through the most painful time in my entire life. Then I would be so heartbroken and sad. Just answer them. And don't stop there, though. You got to finish the equation of what if, then I would, but God. And that's where you go to the promises of God, which Jesus said, remember the promises of God. But God would get me through it. But God would meet me because he says he's close to the brokenhearted. But God would sustain me and strengthen me. But God would bring me into full eternity faster than I could even imagine because this life is a vapor. But God, so I would answer the question and then add to the what if, answer the question, and then cling on to the promises of God. And, uh, and I think we so rarely chase and answer the what if. And so it just it feeds off of this vague feeling of, of fear and worry and anxiousness versus I'm going to isolate and identify the specific thing that I'm afraid of. And then I'm going to remember what God has said, that even if that does happen, blank. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know for myself, like whenever, whenever I do experience anxiety, it's like I just constantly wait on the surface of it. You know, like you're saying, like I never dive down to the root. Totally, dude. Identifying like, oh, this really isn't that, you know, like isn't worry worthless? Because um, everything seems like the biggest deal at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, so it's huge. That way. Dude, you're yeah. spot on. What, so what are some ways, this is more selfishly for myself and Allie, um, but what are some ways that you and Callie are kind of um, like training up your kids in ways in, in a world where anxiety is not going away and, and technology is not going away and, the, and the, the comparison game and people's life being thrown in front of our faces and those things aren't going away. And there's kids now that, I mean, I find myself anxious sometimes of like, man, I can, my parents never had to, my parents didn't know what a billionaire's life looked like. You know, like I can get on YouTube and I can see someone who's my age making multiple millions of dollars and be like, shoot, man. And so that's only that that's only increasing. So what are some things that you guys are doing for your kids? And maybe this will be relevant for people with kids, but also relevant for people who are in discipleship relationships that can help um, anything like that? What are some kind of safeguards or just truths that you guys are kind of instilling in your kids' lives? Yeah, man. I think, um, I think as it relates to our kids, oh, they're not old enough now to get on Instagram or do any of that stuff. And so we should, uh, we should pick this conversation up in 10 years and we can learn from each other. Cause I, I think we're both going to have to figure out what is it be really rigorous, proactive, protecting, and, um, and care for them. But I think for me personally, you got to go through seasons where you step away, you get off, you disconnect, you turn the phone off, you Sabbath, you um, are intentional to spend time just with either your wife or, or honestly just with the Lord and go say, man, I'm just going to breathe and sit and pause. Luke chapter 10, this verse was so profound to me this week where Jesus says, it's, he's talking to Mary and Martha, and Martha's freaking out about cooking and tell Mary to come help me, if you remember the story. And Jesus says, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. Only one thing is necessary. And the reason that's so brilliant, just profound, is like Jesus in Martha's living room bottom lines the entire point of humanity's existence on earth. The entire reason you're here, because he says only one thing is needed, and Martha's doing it. She's sitting with me. 
and I that she's chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. And we just get so hustle and bustle and worried and batted and comparing and about the most fleeting, pointless, like none of that at the end of the day matters. And I think we've got to recenter. And I think spending time consistently in God's word, journaling out what you're feeling, talking and living in community are those moments and how you continue to align with, oh, that's ultimately the only thing that matters is knowing Jesus. And it's pretty brilliant that he would say, and people run past that verse, but Jesus just said, only one thing in life at the end of the day matters. Mary's doing it. And I'm not going to stop her from doing it. In fact, you should be doing it. And so I think for me, I know that's a little bit more theoretical, but it kind of is uh, an answer to keeping centered on like, oh yeah, that's right. That's ultimately what really matters. And so making sure I, I keep that the main thing. And what car I drive and whether my kids go to college or whether we live in a certain neighborhood, whether I look a certain way or succeed in the eyes of certain people, that's a, a losing game. But I can do the thing that matters and I can choose to prioritize that today and tomorrow and every day. How is that? So how has that gotten real in your life, David? I know you recently took a step back from the porch a few months back and yeah. and had some time just away. And I, I don't know the details of that, and I'm not asking you to divulge super deep into that. But what what has that been like? Was that a season of like, man, I'm just going to focus on this. I'm going to make the main thing the main thing and get after this in my family. Dude, it, it was one of the best seasons I, I've ever had. And I would encourage um, anybody in ministry and just, you know, building that rhythm into any anybody in any job – but of being able to go, hey, above anything else, you know, the challenge in ministry and at the porch is sometimes the temptation can be you're so wrapped up in your job that your job becomes who you are, your identity. And I think um, especially the bigger it becomes and the more um, the, uh, the 100,000 people a week that listen to the porch, you begin to be like, oh, man, this is this is who I am. And you can lose sight of like, more than anything else, I'm a person. I'm someone made in the image of God. Before I'm ever a pastor, long after I'll stop being a pastor, if I stopped, or before anything else, like I am, I'm a per, I'm a human. I'm a person. And so that doesn't, my identity and my worth and my value comes from being made in the image of God. And my worth was displayed by Jesus giving his life for me. And so how I succeed in the eyes of people doesn't matter. And so I think even stepping away to remember and reflect on that of like above anything else before I'm an author, father, anything, I am someone who's made in the image of, I'm a human being and my identity, my job can change, but where I find my worth and my value and my identity doesn't ever have to, because those are fixed and eternal and solidified on the cross. So that was a really, really healthy, as simple as it was, but just like man, I'm, I'm not, I'm stepping away from this thing that I don't know how I could break an identity attachment to that other than going, it's going to go on without me for these two and a half months and God's got it. And, um, and almost symbolically and literally severing that was really helpful. So how is that? So what fruits have come out of that? How have you managed, uh, have you managed your life with a little more margin because of that? Or? Yeah, totally. The, uh, you know, I think the thing that I continue to, I reflected on in that time that I, I say all the time now is um, 
it's been a lot of a lot of different ways. But the thing I was going to say is everything is important and nothing is important. Like everything is important and nothing's that important. Like if I we get so freaked out over like, oh, man, what if I have to cancel this podcast I'm doing with with Quinn because blank, blank and blank. I don't, I don't know what reason it would be. And I can either go, oh, man, I'm going to let him down. It's going to be so hard. We'll have to reschedule. Or I can go, you know, we may have a challenge rescheduling, but it is what it is. It'll be okay if yeah. if that's what has to be done because of kids' schedule for school or soccer practice. Like, we can just get so worked up and think everything is the epitome of everything. And I think, you know, I tell my team, like, everything matters and nothing at the end of the day really matters that that much. The stuff we freak out about, I got to get this done, I got to get this done. I also think reprioritizing and it's become really encouraging for me to beat the drum of my the staff that report to me, man, you got to go. You do not miss your, your kid's birthday party. You don't miss, um, I don't want you gone multiple nights a week away from your wife. And if it is, I want you to, to make that time back up. Or And there's times where we, we just have two things, an ministry event weekend, but I want you to prioritize. I was emailing somebody because we were doing a retreat, and I was like, that's fine. We can do that retreat, but I want everyone to leave the porch that night to go be with – if you have kids, I want you to go see your kids because I don't want you to be gone three nights in a row and um, and just really trying to heat that value. And I think that's an overflow of me and my own life going, I want to heat that value, and I want to prioritize my first ministry. So it's good, man. I love it, dude. Just kind of landing the plane here. What's next for you, David? You got anything on the horizon? How could people find you? All the all the fun ending questions. Come on, man. We uh, they can find me at theports.live. They check out the ports. There's 15 ports live locations in nine states, so they can go to theports.live and find uh, gatherings near them. If they're in Dallas, come to Watermark on Tuesday night. See us at seven. You can find we're all freaking out and why you don't need to. If anxiety is something that you or anyone you know struggles with, wherever books are sold, does anyone buy books other than on Amazon? Like, I was I was just thinking about that today. I was going to ask you. I was like, do they even track other sales, or do they just track Amazon? They do, but like everyone buys. We always say wherever books are sold, and I'm always like, I never buy books other than on Amazon. But yeah, uh, but anyways, so they can buy it wherever they buy books. And uh, then go to davidmarvin.org, too, and that'll link to all the different places where it is sold. But um, super fun to be on here, man, and excited for what God is doing here at the ports and excited what he's doing through you and just grateful. Hey, man, I appreciate it, David. It's always fun to connect, dude. Thanks, bro. Thanks for having me. Man, you guys, I hope that that information is so helpful for you. I hope that if anxiety is something that you struggle with in your life, that you'll go pick up the book, pick one up for a friend, buy 10 copies, share it with everyone you know, because this is just such a felt need of our society right now. But hey, guys, if you want to know more about Humble Daily, you can find it out at HumbleDaily.com, or you can follow us on Instagram at Humbled underscore Daily. Uh, Our whole mission is centered around creating content to equip you and creating apparel that will then spark a conversation so that you can then use what we have equipped you with to share the gospel and spread the good news. Hey, we love you. We're grateful for you. Have a blessed week.